Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodeschicago.com. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves, children of God, right here, who have the first fruit of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this we hope we, are, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we would wait for it with patience. Now likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought. Anybody say amen? I don't know what to pray. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Um, before we dive in, uh, just if you would, keep that passage uh, open. Um, we're going to come back to it. Uh, it's going to probably be more closer to the middle of the message. Um, but I did want to update you on a couple of things. Number one, I wanted to update you on our Christmas offering. Um, and this mic is super hot right now. I maybe I don't know, but it's, it, but I think it's okay. Sound good to you guys? Starting to get some reverb here and there. Um, so a uh, couple of exciting news. We made a goal uh, during our Christmas offering to raise seventy-five thousand uh, dollars. This was to uh, help us with our budget shortfall. It was to help us uh, raise money for planting more churches, um, and it was also to help us raise money for our missions budget. Uh, we, right now, as of today, are at $75,250. So give God some <laughs> praise for that. It's amazing. Crazy. Now, here's the crazy part. Uh, we were looking at, like, just kind of gauging um, the, the, the generosity of this body and just trying to get a pulse. Um, Asked for some numbers. Um, out of the regular attenders... That money was raised by 40% of the regular tenders. Now, I'm not here to shame the other 60% of you. Um, I just want to raise that to attention because imagine what God could do if we all were all in. And, and maybe some of you, now, we did say give through January 31st, so I'm going to give you guys some grace. Maybe some of you are still like, hey, I'm going to do that. I just haven't done it yet. Um, so there's still time to pledge. There's still time to give. Um, and I want you to hear this. Even though we've met our goal, there's still need. Um, we set our budget at the beginning of the year uh, using about a $35,000 usage of our savings account that we've had from underspending over the years. Um, that is still being used. And then next year, um, there's not going to be much of that to continue to do on so, to, to use. So the thing is, is um, for us to become sustainable, um, we really do, uh, as a church, need uh, everyone to be all in. Um, we still have people raising support from the outside. Um, there's still uh, funds needed for us to be 100% sustainable as a church. So um, just want to share that. Uh, amazing celebration. Good on all of us. Um, keep being faithful. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much for your sacrifice, all your giving. I've never seen anything like that. I mean, from this, think the size of this church giving $75,000, that just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen that a church our size would plant other churches. It just, it's not in the church growth manual, people. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so just thank you. You guys are amazing. All right. So with that said, now we're going to talk about prayer. I want to start with a couple of stories. The first one is of, uh, now I only have one life to live, so um, some of my stories get repeated, so forgive me for repeating this story. I only got one of these things. 
But a couple of years ago, one of our friends from this congregation um, went into cardiac arrest and uh, was in a coma for several days, um, Becky's husband, Vern Bumhira. And for several days, we prayed, we gathered. Uh, he was in a coma. Uh, there was uh, not, the, the signs were looking very poor of, of chances of recovery. Um, brain activity was, was, was hard to determine. Um, and we all gathered here and prayed. Uh, we, we, we all gathered in the hospital to pray with Becky and, and, and the, the nurses were praying. People across the globe were praying. And uh, what the doctors determined as a medical miracle, Vern raised up from his coma and lived. And I just saw him at pickup last week, picking up my kids at Waters Elementary. Amazing, amazing, the result of prayer. That's story one. Story two, Seoul, Korea, uh, the, a church of 12,000 people, Myeongsung Presbyterian Church, uh, gathers every morning to pray. And so many people come out to pray that they have three slots now, 4 a.m., 5 a.m., and 6 a.m. Now, the, the doors fill in this massive facility, um, and if you show up at 4.01, you need to stick around for 59 more minutes because they lock the doors because it's standing room only to pray and wait in the cold night of Korea <laughs> to get to the next slot. And the late bloomers are 6 a.m. That's the late risers. They, get, they pray at 6 a.m. Story two. Story three uh, is a woman named Angela. Angela's son uh, completely left her, their home and would live a life of wild living named Christopher. And Christopher would go out uh, living a life of promiscuity and drug dealing and um, sleeping with many, several partners. And he got arrested for, uh, as a felony with possession of drugs. His mom later became a Christian during all this, and she began to pray ruthlessly. So ruthlessly that her entire prayer room was filled with an array of colors of post-it notes of prayers, a whole list long as, as six feet long of taped prayers together. And Christopher calls his mom and says, Mom, I'm in jail. And she says, thank you, God, that you are not dead. She, instead of being in despair, just thanks God that he's alive. And Christopher goes on to become a Christian, gets a New Testament in prison, and later becomes a professor at Moody Bible. All through the prayers of a prayer praying mom. Walter Wink calls, says that the, the kingdom of God, the, 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 the future, belongs to the intercessors. <laughs> I love that. And so as we talk about prayer, all these stories, they teach us something that prayer is a compelling invitation that we often don't dare to believe. Um, Walter Wink, yes, the quote was, history belongs to the intercessors that believe the future into being. Now, many of us hear those stories, and equally as we hear those stories, some of us leave to hear those stories excited. Others of us go, well, great stories, Brian. But I have stories. I have stories where I prayed and nothing happened. I have stories where I prayed and, and, and God didn't answer them the way I wished. And so as you hear those prayers, you somewhat feel angry. You don't have a neat, tidy ending to those stories. And Brian, you left out a lot of stories that don't have a neat, tidy ending. And so if we insist on divine healing, what do we do with divine silence? 
And so somewhere in between our life, we experience prayer as this wonder, but also this mystery and where we feel conf- confounded and filled with doubt. And um, there's this sense of, 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 of confusion and, 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 and we don't know how to, if this is even real. The real question is, do my prayers answer, do anything? Do my prayers matter? Right? Do my prayers do anything? If I pray, is there anything about history that changes because I prayed? And if I pray, is there anything that doesn't happen that would have happened if I didn't pray? So our questions are, are, are rackled with, if God is good, if he's really good, why won't he just do something good whether I pray for it or not? If he's really wise, why does he need me to ask for it? And so we rack our mind in this in-between wrestle of seeing mystery and wonder of God, but mixed with doubt and confusion and unbelief. And we're left still praying. Praying is a universal language that all cultures do. And as Christians, we kind of still pray, but we we pray this way. We pray with, with very passive prayers or very vague prayers in which if God were to answer them, we don't even know what the result would be. So for a thought experiment, Let me ask us this. If God were to answer every single prayer you prayed for this past week, what would happen? If God were to answer every single prayer you prayed for this past week, what would change in this world? And except for maybe two or three really bold prayers out there, I think the answer would probably be not that much. And I'm not saying that to shame us or to guilt us, but I think for myself even of like, do I ask God to do things that if he were to answer them, it would change everything, right? Like, are we asking those kind of prayers? And so um, as we live in between these tension of prayers, I want to say this, that God's invitation to prayer is radical. And when he invited us to pray, he invited his disciples to pray they said, teach us to pray. Now, you got to remember, whenever Jesus got asked with a question all throughout Scripture, what did he do? Well, let me tell you a story. There was a master, and he had a field. And you know, he would go on and tell them this like, long parable and, and like, say, what do you think this means? And, you know, and he would always be like, oh, my gosh, I'm just dumbfounded. Jesus answers directly and says, I want to teach you how to pray. And then he prays the prayer we all know, our Father. We like that. There's a God who is personal and has a face. Hallowed be my name. A little weird that you need us to butter you up by hallowing you. So that part always doesn't really connect with me as much. You know, hallowing be your name. But whatever. We'll go with it. On earth as it is in heaven, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Now that's where, that's where we start to divide. The idea that God would really answer prayers, that he would actually do things in heaven and bring them down to earth. Prayer, because I've been taught by secular wisdom that it helps me with meditation, yes. Prayer because I ought to do it, yeah, that sounds okay. Prayer because it'll help shape me and form me and mature me as an individual, I'll sign up for that. But prayer that actually works, I don't know about that. And that's the thing that makes Christian prayer so distinct, because I think about what makes Christian prayer so distinct is the fact that we believe as as children of God that prayer actually works. I mean, think about how crazy and dumbfounding that is that we as human beings have access to the creator of the God and can speak words to him. 
That is just absolutely crazy that, that, that we have that kind of access. And so in this Lord's Prayer, on earth as it is in heaven, what does that even mean? It's this kind of prayer that pushes back the darkness, that actually makes a difference. I love what David Gushy points out, that the things in heaven that represent the kingdom that all throughout the Old Testament are several. The, 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 the things that we're praying for on heaven coming to earth are these. It's peace. It's justice. It's healing. It's salvation. It's restoration of relationship. It's joy. These are the things in heaven that we're asking for now. And so God here is telling us to pray in a way that makes a difference. Are you guys with me? Are you guys okay? I feel, like, I feel like some are and some aren't. Just checking in. All right, cool. Um, now, let me just give you a few quotes from Jesus. It, he says this, Luke 11, And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Sounds pretty straightforward. Jesus, Mark 11, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Crazy, Mark 11. John 14, You may ask for me anything in my name and I will do it. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. John 15. So if we really took Jesus' prayer seriously, his invitation to pray, we would look a lot more like that Korean church. If we really took this invitation seriously, but the reality is, is we don't buy it. We don't buy it, not entirely anyway. Otherwise, Christian culture would be spending thousands of dollars on creating prayer culture instead of writing new songs. We would be, we would be spending thousands of dollars creating facilities of prayer rather than, than, than other things that we, we do invest in. We would pray more in our services even. And I would say we're guilty of that. We would do a lot more things if we believe this prayer. And so I want to talk about intercessory prayer this morning, which is crazy because Bam showed me his slide this morning that he's calling Wednesday intercessory prayer, and he had no clue that I wanted to talk about intercessory prayer. And I believe that's because prayer works. <laughs> Interce to intercede means to go between. It's to mediate between two parties, Right? Uh, it, is, it, is to, it is to pass between two parties. In layman's words, it's just to pray for somebody else. <laughs> Real simple. Not wishing for some cosmic genie to come down and do something, but out of love for someone else. I love the way Richard Foster defines it. He says, if we truly love people, get this, if we truly love people, we will desire for them far more than what is within our power that can give them. So if we really love someone, we're going to want more for them than what we can give for them in our own power. And that leads us to prayer. Intercessory prayer is a selfless prayer, even in self-giving prayer. In the ongoing work of the kingdom of God, nothing is more important than intercessory prayer. And so what I want to do real quick is just like in six minutes give you an overview of the Bible real quick, if that's cool. And like... And then, and then connect this all back to prayer. And I just want to do it through four quick chapters. Creation, fall, promise, and Jesus. Chapter one, creation, right? God created the earth. And he, he, he created the earth in seven days. And he looked at man and woman. 
And he said, this is very good. The pinnacle of my creation. Now, the word Adam uh, is often, when the Hebrew, whenever it talks about humanity in general, it uses the Hebrew word Adam. So literally, this is not just the story of Adam and Eve. This is the story of us. And when God created him, Adam and Eve, he says, this is, I will make them male and female in my image. I will make them in our likeness, in the Trinity's likeness, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. And they will multiply my image all throughout the earth. Their job is to subdue the world, rule over it, and multiply my image. That's their role. Now, God did not give earth to humanity, but he gave it over to be managed. Adam and Eve begin to name the animals, begin to rule, and be co-managers, if you will, brokers of God's image to this world. That he loved us so much that he said, I want you to participate as a co-creator, a co-manager, a broker of my presence to this world. That is your vocation. That is your calling. That is what you were meant to do. This amazing picture of intercessors participating in loving, spreading God's image and giving us rule. He gave us rule, not in a manipulative, power-hungry kind of authority, but in the authority of the Imago Dei, in the image of God, set apart from every other created being was us as humans, God's image bearers, authority to rule over creation and selfless love. Chapter 2, the fall, the life we actually live. Because if you look around, that's not what we experience. Where did it all go wrong? We even look, scientists are putting an end date on how long the earth can even sustain human life. Where did God's intentions for creation go so horribly wrong? Sin has wreaked havoc on creation. We read in Romans 8 that creation is groaning, waiting for redemption, waiting to be restored. It's this image of a childbirth that talks about this groaning under pain. And since the, that the water hasn't broken, my wife's a dual and everybody knows anything about childbirth, that when the water breaks, no midwife is going to stop this baby from coming. But one of these days, the water will break for creation and God's going to transform this world where there's no longer famines, no longer storms. But for the time being in our story, I'm getting ahead of myself, this is where it all just goes haywire. Everything is left undone and we lost who we were. Scripture claims a product was this, the reason was a great deception. That we forfeited our role as co-managers because another one, Satan, came in and tempted us and said, don't you want to be like God? We have the spiritual enemy, and his weapon is always deception, and the result is always paralyzation. So humanity was paralyzed in their ability to cope, to broker God's presence. They were paralyzed in their ability to manage God's earth. They were paralyzed in their ability to be intercessors for this world, to be go-betweeners between God and this world. This is all technical, but let me tell you through a different story. There's a book called uh, The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. It's a guy who had a stroke in the very beginning of this book, and I read this book just because this story is so compelling, but he has a stroke, and he has a patch over his left eye, and he can't see, and it's swollen, and he's paralyzed from the, the, the neck down, and the only thing he can get out is a blink in his right eye, and this man writes this entire book by blinking with his right eye, and each blink One blink, A. Two blinks, B. Each letter counts as a blink, and he sends it to a scribe, and he writes the entire book with his right eye. And that's what's happening in this story of us, is that there is a communication breach. We, as God's people, are his body. And God's like, I'm trying to blink a message out to the world, but my body isn't working the way it's supposed to be. 
There's some kind of communication breakdown. The synapses aren't firing off right. I have a body of Christ that's supposed to be the, my managers and co-creators and bring redemption to this world and participate with me. And I'm trying to blink out a message, but it's just not working. And story three, chapter 3 is promise. That Isaiah promises, well, you know what? Actually, back in Genesis 3, there's a promise. You're like, wait a minute, you said six minutes. You're still in Genesis 3. I know, just hang in there. Genesis 3, God says, I will make a promise. I will send uh, the seed of the woman, the offspring of the woman. There will be a human who will crush the head of Satan. Head is, is authority language. That I'm going to crush that head and I will, I will redeem this world. I will, I will make all things right through this boy. And this boy, everyone was looking for the boy. So much so that then you're like, no, let's name this guy Noah because it means hope. Maybe he'll restore the world. Let's name this, names meant everything because they were thinking, what if my kid was the one? And all of a sudden, Isaiah says that there will be a child born to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. He will be an authority figure that will come and bring God's presence to us. And then Jesus comes on the scene last chapter. And after he dies and raises again and lives out this prayer that we prayed so radically that it got him killed because he lived out the Lord's prayer. And then that Life got him killed to the degree that he rose again from the dead. And the first thing he said is, all authority has been given to me, and I will be with you always. And what does Jesus call Satan? He calls him the ruler. And what did Jesus come to do? He came to give us our rule back. This is good news. Because now we are like, we have the authority of Jesus. We have the authority of Jesus. And that gets me to this weird conclusion with Jesus and all that's great and you're like what does that have to do about prayer (laughs) it's because he's made us intercessors again what does that have to do with prayer John 16 Jesus says nevertheless I tell you the truth it is for your advantage that I go away for if I don't go away the helper will not come and this sounds like a weird classic breakup speech except Jesus doesn't leave us He says, I'm going to send the helper to you, the spirit. And if I go, I'll send him to you. So he says, it's good for you to go away. I love this. This is crazy. This just convicted me so much this week. In that day, he says to the disciples, you will no longer ask me anything. My father will give you whatever I ask in your, um, whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked anything in my name. I want you to catch this. Jesus tells the disciples, until now, you have not asked anything in my name. Now, pause there their entire life they've been asking Jesus of things but he says you've never gone directly to the father but when I go away you're going to have direct access to the father and you're going to be able to pray in my name you've asked for things you need you've asked for things but you've never prayed in my name in my name is not a tagline at the end of the prayer it's to pray in the authority of Jesus he says you've never prayed with that kind of authority And it made me think, oh my God, what if so many of us as Christians have actually never prayed in Jesus' name? What if we haven't prayed in Jesus' name, but we've been using that tagline all our lives? What if you've... You've been coasting in your marriage instead of contending for your marriage. Say, in Jesus' name, heal this marriage. You've been coasting in your life with your job and your discontentment and your sin. You've been coasting with this habit of addiction, but you've never said, in the name of Jesus, set me free. 
You've just said, give me peace, God, in the midst of this thing. And I know I'll probably struggle with it all the rest of my life. But give me this job while I struggle with this thing. He's saying, you're not praying in my name. Pray in my name. Pray this because you now have the authority of Jesus. I love what Larry Hurtado says. This is amazing. He says this. We enter into Jesus' status and God's favor and evoke Jesus standing with God. So when we pray, because of the blood of Jesus, because we are sons and daughters that we read about in Romans 8, you guys tracking with this? We go to God in prayer, and when he sees us, we evoke the status and the favor of God as if we were Jesus standing, talking to God our very selves. Now, you are not Jesus, but over time you pray, you come to God the Father wearing Jesus' status. When Jesus won authority back, he won prayer back. That's why Karl Barth says the clasp of the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the curse of this world. John Wimber says, meeting the needs of others, that prayer is when, when you, is meeting the needs of others on the basis of God's resources. So intercession prayer, what you're doing when you intercede for others is you're going in, you're going in to God's presence and you're getting the resources of heaven and you're asking God to distribute the presence of heaven on this earth. That you are saying, God, you need to redistribute your resources. We need some more resources here. We need some more resources on the south side. We need you to redistribute the way your resources are being used in heaven here on earth. That's what intercessory prayer is. Isn't that amazing? And so now maybe if we thought of prayer this way, wouldn't we be like, I will skip a meal for that. I'll go without watching Netflix tonight for that. I'm I'm interested now because that is prayer that over that we say over stay at home moms and people in prison and homeless shelters and high rises and basements and south side and north side. We say over all these people, bring heaven to earth, restore the world and the God given identity you were meant to carry. But we don't pray like that. Because I think for Christians, we think of prayer not as something as exciting as that. We think of it as the spiritual equivalent of eating celery. Like, I should probably eat this. I don't really want to, but I probably should, right? Like, I don't really want to pray, but I know I'm supposed to do it. And so at best, that's the way we approach prayer. You guys hanging with me? I don't know how much time I've been going, sorry. Um, But I want to say this, as we talk about intercession, some of you are like, how do I sustain that kind of prayer when the sex appeal wears off of that kind of rally cry of a sermon? Yeah, that sounds great. I've been there. I've done that. But I'm not seeing it. And my answers aren't getting answered. My prayers aren't getting answered. How do I sustain that kind of prayer? And that's why we read Romans 8. Romans 8, there's several people who are groaning. It says creation groans, that it's waiting to be restored. Then it says creatures, us, that we groan. And then it says that God's spirit is in us groaning. When we don't have words for what to pray, that God's spirit is groaning. So I want you to get this picture. Theologians differ, like who, if, is it really our spirit or is it the Holy Spirit? Is it our, I don't really understand how it could be just our spirit because later on it already talks about how we as creatures groan. So why would Paul say it again? 
And I think what he's saying is, is in you, there's times where you're interceding for someone that you don't have words to say and you can't get them out. All you can get out is a groan. That a heartfelt groan is better than a sung anthem. That, that sometimes in what my professor who will come here April 5th, I'm super excited for him, he would tell me, my mom, he's African-American, would just hum in the kitchen. Because if you hummed, the devil didn't understand what you were saying. And she would just hum. And he wouldn't ask her what she's humming because it wasn't humming to her. And all of a sudden, there would be a knock on the door. Here's some food. Here's some groceries. That our groan is a language. Our tears are a language that God understands. That our ache is an intercession in and of itself. That's the good news. here's Here's something else. Did you know that there's no expiration on your prayers? There's passages in Revelation that it says the cries of the deceased are still raising up to God. Zechariah, who was the uh, uh, related to Mary, prayed for this Messiah to come, and it says years later his prayer was answered. Zechariah stopped praying that prayer a long time ago. There's prayers that God's that are ringing in God's ears from centuries ago. Right now, that he says, "I'm saying yes to that prayer. One day, I'm still going to say yes to that prayer." I love what, maybe you've seen the clip, but uh, Tony Evans' wife, Louise, passed away. And I love her son's eulogy that he said, God, I prayed that you would not let this happen to her so that all the world would see that all these people are praying for her to live through this cancer. Uh, and then you would be glorified. And he said, he said, God told him, don't tell me how to get my glory. He says, you see, the whole time you've been praying, the answers to your prayers has always only been two prayers. Either she was going to be healed or she was going to be healed. Either she was going to live or she was going to live. Either she was going to be with family or she was going to be with family. That, that somehow what I love is this picture that we can trust that God's Spirit's groaning in us. We don't have to worry about our words too much when we come to God. We don't have to worry about being fancy with our words. And we don't have to worry about our false motives. Because I think that's something that within Christianity gets so way the enemy paralyzes our prayers. What if you're asking because of this? What if you're asking because you want this? And the good news that the spirit is groaning is because it doesn't matter. Because what that picture is saying is so good, guys. This is so good. That when we pray and ask for something that may be misinformed, somehow God's spirit straightens it out. And comes up to God the Father and says, now this person's praying for six figures. This person's praying for this great job. But, Father, what they really need is a job over in Peoria, Illinois. Out in the boonies to get some humility. And that's, I know that's what they're asking for. But what he's saying he needs is humility, God. Right? And so, so, so somehow when we pray with these misinformed things, the Spirit takes it to the Father and says, this is what they need. This is what they're asking for, but this is what they need. And God answers. Isn't that good news? That's good news. Um, so, so as we close this week, uh, this, this sermon today, I just want to ask a couple of things. Like, are you coasting in your relationship with God or are you contending? It's time to wake up. It's time for us to wake up, church. 
that we would, that we would have this, this intimacy with God, this, this, this getting back to our first love. Um, the band, Brandon, if you guys could come up and, and close us. And I just want to pray that we would um, consider a couple of things as we close this. That maybe there are unanswered prayers in here. Prayers you've been groaning. And it gets hard and it's awful. But God is listening. And he is answering. And his answer is always yes and yes. Maybe not in our time. God is not an algorithm. He's not a Coke machine. He's not, an, he's not an algorithm in Silicon Valley. There's no formula to get him to answer your prayer the way you want. He is who he is, and you are who you are. And he says, let's do this life together. And I pray that this would just be a gear of change for many of us, that we would pray audacious prayers that we would see God answer. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. You would uh, let's pray and um, take a few minutes in the quietness of your heart. If you would just posture your body in a way to focus, some of you may want to stand, some of you may want to. Put your hands, palms out. I want to pray for several of us today. respond in a minute. We're going to sing songs as we always sing. We, we respond several ways in this church afterwards. We usually just get space, so it could get a little messy. There could be people moving around, or dancing, or kneeling. But we're going to take communion to my right, my le- uh, to, to your left, to celebrate the God who gave his life to make this access possible. But before we do that, I want to pray for several of you. Some of you For some, you need the victory of the sun right now spoken over your life. And if you're here right now and you need to know you are clothed with the authority of Jesus, that you have the status of Jesus, that there's no more guilt that can keep you from him. There's no more shame that can leave you undone. You need to hear that you are a son and a daughter. You are a citizen of the kingdom. You belong to God forever. You have been washed by his blood. You are sealed with the spirit. You are seated with him on the most high. You are his masterpiece. You are clothed with compassion. You belong to him forever. That's not a hyperbole or a metaphor. Those are promises. That Jesus is right now interceding for you. And forgiveness of God, that would be enough. But man, Jesus right now is even praying for you. 
Some of us, we need just the heart of the Father right now. The, the, you're in the season of just undivided attention and devotion to him, and, and you are wrapped up in God's presence. I pray that you have the heart of the Father in this season, that you have the heart of God for other people, that you have the compassion wrapped around your life. There's people that are hurting in your life that you are struggling to forgive, that you have bitterness towards, and God wants to give you the heart of the Father towards them and wants you to intercede on their behalf. Draw them near, Jesus. Rescue them, Lord. Heal them. Save them. Raise them from the dead, O God. Give them their legs back. Give them their arms back. Give them their heart back. Give them their freedom back. God, set them free from prison that they're unjustly tried, Lord Jesus. Set systemic racism right, O God. Set a divided country and heal us, O God. Heal our families. Others, I pray that you would have the power of the Spirit. Some of you are anointed today as intercessors to distribute the resources of heaven through prayer, and that's your calling. Today I pray that there would just be a growth spurt of intercession upon your life, that the fire would burn in you, that burning passion would take over your heart and life, that you would be an intercessor for the city, that you would burn in your heart, or do it again. Do these things again in Scripture, O oh God.